You guys have any regrets in life? I'm done. That's good. <laughs> I uh, one time I went to a conference with one of my friends, and uh, we got up the next morning. He's he's a little older than me. His name was Troy Alley, and uh, if you think I'm uh, country, you should meet Troy. But anyway, um, I was the city slicker in that duo. So he walks out of the bathroom laughing and holding up his toothbrush, and I'm like, what? And he's pointing at the toothpaste on his toothbrush, but it wasn't toothpaste. He had mixed up the preparation H in the toothpaste. He'd have regretted that. Of course, if your lips are swollen, I guess. Um, Okay, that was a step too far, I know. But I I couldn't stop myself. The first time I took my uh, amazing wife on a date, we were cruising. Back then, we used to cruise. I know, like, we rode our dinosaurs around. And... um, we would cruise, and I had a very cool-looking 76 Mustang II. That's a Pinto that was a little shorter. I mean, you know, so, so if you're thinking Mustang, no, no, it was not. A, it was the Mousestang, actually. It had a four-cylinder engine, and I could get up to 55 miles an hour if I were going downhill and had a tailwind. It was, but that was okay back then, you know, Sammy Hagar was singing, I can't drive 55. But, so anyway, we were driving around town. It was our first date, you know, and uh, I hit a pothole. <clears throat> Twice. And lost my hubcap. You guys know what hubcaps are? Twice. The second time it flew over the car and into the ditch on the other side. I had to go get it, pull the car over. I kind of regretted that. I mean, I wish I hadn't hit that pothole. Just awkward. But she felt sorry for me and married me. So if you get married out of pity, take it, you know? (laughs) It works. So today, I mean, we could talk about things that we regret, and, and so I am going to ask you to do a little bit of an inventory for yourself as we go through this message about things that are weighing you down right now, those regrets that are holding us back. And what my dream, I guess my vision is by the time we get to the end of this message, I, I, want, you to, uh, I want you to be able to at least get to a place where you're free from those. Jesus died for your freedom, man. He, he died for you to thrive, 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 I don't know where that came from. He died for you to thrive. And... Um, And so too many of us live life with all the baggage. And I would love it if you could walk out of this place without your baggage. Now, I don't know if that's possible. I know with Jesus, anything is possible. And so today we're going to talk about that. And and we're also going to talk about the value of it. My voice is a little squeaky. I sang and all these different things. And so forgive me on that. But there are so many things. and, And regrets is one of those. Last week we talked about things that are like a... A way to pull us back to God. They're like a connection to God, a rope to God, if you will. And our regrets are those things. That if we, if we pull on them, and the funny thing is, anything that can pull us toward God can also pull us away from God. Anything you look for an answer for, if you look for the wrong answer, it can pull you in the wrong direction. And so when we have regrets in our life, we have that baggage we carry around, and we all have them. They're there, and they're in our life, because we're in a broken world, and we're broken people, I get that. But God is a merciful God, knew what was going to happen, and had planned all along that those regrets in our lives be a way to draw us back to him. Does that make sense? So today we're going to talk about one of my favorite characters. His name is Peter in the Bible. I so identify with Peter. Uh, He was a fisherman guy. Anybody anybody remember Popeye Popeye as a kid? I'm Popeye the sailor. That's kind of like Peter, man. He was Peter the fisherman. Is that going through your head right now? It's just... I don't know if he had tattoos or ate spinach. That would be cool. But anyway, Peter was kind of, he was that guy. 
rough and tumble. I mean, he was a classic for Wyoming. I mean, he handled it. He was self-sufficient. He, he, Peter was in control of Peter, or at least so he thought. There was nothing in his mind, the way he was raised, the way he thought, there was nothing that could come Peter's way that he couldn't handle. And because of that thinking, Peter kept getting into trouble. He kept overextending himself, kept putting himself in situations uh, by his mouth. His mouth would write checks that the rest of him couldn't cash, you know. And he would keep putting himself in situations, make bold promises, pronounce big courage and devotion, and then he would tank. And I so identify with that because I got a big mouth. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I was so waiting for that. I knew it was coming. <laughs> that's why I let it, let it settle. Let that in there. Now you think I planned it. No, that's not actually true. So we're going to read a little bit about Peter in just a second. But actually, let's, uh, now let me just lay out three things about Peter. First, first, I want to point out that Peter was prideful. So this is a, kind of the basis. Now, I know you don't struggle with pride, but Peter did, right? So Peter struggled with pride, thinking he could do more than he could do, and he would commit things to Jesus and so forth. And he had a, kind of a big mouth and, and kind of would get into trouble because of that. Peter was also struggled with prayer. I mean, not, you know, we all kind of struggle with that, so we can identify with that. I mean, of course, the night before he got into the big trouble we're going to talk about today, Jesus warned him, man, you really need to pray because your enemy wants to sift you. And I don't know exactly what sifting means, but I don't ever want it to happen, unless it took about 40 pounds off. <sighs> No, I'm just kidding. And so Peter, he had a, trouble, he had a hard time praying. He, had, he was way overconfident in himself, and he was really self-sufficient. I will handle this. We've talked about that a lot over the last year, how that we, we rely on our abilities, our wisdom, our skill. And that's kind of all we know to do. That's what the world tells us to do. Go, reach inside yourself for the strength. And there's value in that. If God is in you, there's, no, there's not really much value in that if all you have is you. Does that make sense? So Peter was, Peter was a lot like us. So let's look at Luke 22, 54, 57, 58. I'm going to read these verses and then just kind of show you how he cratered. Okay? So they arrested Jesus and led him to the high priest's home. Peter followed at a distance. You know, so he's trying to do the right thing, right? He's trying to live up. He, t he told Jesus just a few minutes before, man, I, I got this. Whatever comes my way, I got this. I love that phrase. That's not in the Greek, by the way. That's just in the Maynard translation. But anyway, um, and so Peter followed at a distance. Verse 55, the guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it, and Peter joined them there. Big, tough, rough and tumble Peter. Verse 56, a servant girl noticed Peter in the firelight and began staring at him. That sounds creepy. And finally she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers. Look what Peter does in verse 57. Peter denied it. Woman, I don't even know him. Okay, pause. Like an hour before, Jesus, I got this. I'll go to jail for you. I will die for you. An hour before. Now he's getting questioned, not by the cops, not by a soldier, not by the Sanhedrin, a servant girl. This slave girl says, you've been with Jesus. You're one of those. And he goes, like almost without hitch. Like it was planned almost. I mean, it was there. I don't even know him. 
So first, Peter just denies even knowing Jesus Christ. Sitting around the fire, the story continues, verse 58. After a while, someone else looks at him, said, you must be one of them. Peter answers, no, man, I'm not, Peter retorts. So now we got lie one to a servant girl. Why was he afraid of her? I don't, I, I don't know Jesus. Two, someone else asked him, says, I don't follow Jesus. I'm not a disciple. Lie two. And then we jump in to three, verse 59. About an hour later, someone else insisted. This must be one of them because he's Galilean too. And Peter, but Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he's still speaking, the rooster crows. What's going on? Peter's a Galilean. So you'll notice as you listen to me, I'm from Tennessee, you will hear it come out. There's that, that redneck sound, you know, the twang. I speak banjo on my days off, you know. Same thing with Peter. He had a, a certain way that he spoke. It was Galilean. People knew that. Jesus was from the Galilean area. And so they connected Peter with Jesus, and he just goes off. Man, I don't know what you're talking about. In verse, in fact, Matthew 4, Mark 14, 71, Peter says, the Bible says, Peter said, a curse on me. It says, Peter swore a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know this man that you're talking about. It's like, what's going on, Peter? Right? This, what's going on? Because he's just spent the last three and a half years of his life. He's just given them up for Christ. He's walked away from his business for Christ. Three and a half years. I mean, think about all the things he's seen. He, I mean, the things that God has done through him. He's healed people. He's seen Jesus raise the dead. I mean, he himself has cast demons out of people. I mean, he has seen a world that few people even believe exists. And he loved Jesus. And he got Jesus to a degree. And we all know the story where he calls Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. But on this night, when it all breaks down, and it was just Peter, no Jesus around to correct him, and when he's just standing on his own two legs, Peter tanks. I have also tanked. With regrets. I've made mistakes. And I could list them for you, but I won't because, you know, I'd rather you think about you than me. So, what do I do with those? How, how do I deal with the fact that I got a baggage, a backpack, a cart, a semi truck load of mistakes and failures behind me? What am what am I supposed to do with that? So right now, I, I'm, I want to invite you to take a minute. And here's the thing. Everybody's got them. And the sad truth is, is we usually can't even get them out of our heads. The Bible says that even in laughter, the heart is sorrowful. Today, in this stage in my life, I see it more than ever. People pursuing laughter because their hearts hurt so badly. People filling the void of silence and quiet in their life because they don't want to stop and think about the regrets. There's value in moving forward. So I don't want to totally dismiss that. But I believe and know that there is freedom from regrets in Jesus Christ. That regrets can be over. 
and I don't care what it is, and I don't care how bad it is. Jesus died for all of it. And I want to encourage you today that whatever that regret is and that pain that's in your heart, whatever you think the mistake is, you can look at this guy named Peter. I mean, this is the guy that when Jesus listed the disciples, he always listed Peter first. He was at the top of the food chain of the disciples, so to speak. So that means he fell the farthest, right? And so maybe that's how you feel like, I've fallen so far, there is no way back. Oh, there's a way back. Jesus died for guys named Peter and Michael and my and girls named Christy and Becky and every girl in this room, every guy in this room, Jesus died for all of those. How do we get to a place, though, that we deal with those? So three things I want to give you today, pretty simple. Recognize, release, and redeem. Ooh, it's alliterated. So, Jesus, so Peter's in the, around the fire, He just tanks. He gives his third lie, denies Jesus the third time. And the Bible tells us in Luke 22, 61, right as as Peter's spouting that last lie, it says this, and at that moment, the Lord turned. So apparently Peter had a view on Jesus through a gate or something into the courtyard where he's being questioned. And so it says that that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter And then suddenly the Lord's words flash through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And verse 62 says, and Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. So climb into the story. Three denials, been questioned three times by nobody really serious, denies three times that Jesus is his Lord and Savior, denies he's a disciple, denies he even knows him. And then that third one, as he turn, he, somehow he turns and he looks and Jesus turns and looks at him. Now I need you to climb into this for a second to see what's going on. I, I know that everything came weighing down on Peter at that moment. He thinks about what Jesus said. He thinks about what he's done. He's realized that three times he has laid layer upon layer upon layer of lies about who he really is. He's denying not just Jesus. He's denying Peter too. You get that, right? He's denying everything Jesus was making Peter into. And he looks at Jesus. Now what's happening? What's Jesus doing? Well, Jesus is in the process of the accusation. He's in the process of being convicted as a felon and dying as a condemned criminal. That's the process that's going on. What is that? What's the significance of that? Well, what's happening is, is in this process, God is transferring all of his guilt, Peter's guilt, all of my guilt, everything we've done wrong, he's transferring our condemnation onto Jesus through a legal process in Rome. I mean, in Jerusalem. So while Peter's out here denying Jesus, committing a sin, making a regret, Jesus is in front of accusers taking a regret, taking on Sin. Jesus is taking on the sins of the world and Peter's making more sins to put on him. Does that make sense? So the weight of that hits Peter and he is crushed. He, Peter is not the kind of guy who just you know, gets sensitive and, and watches a chick flick and walks out with a tear down his eye. This is a rough and tumble fisherman. This guy knew a hard life, much harder than I know. And when he walks out of a courtyard weeping bitterly, 
you're meeting a man who's broken to a level you probably don't even understand yet. Because he's not just broken physically, he's not just broken emotionally because he broke his own devotion. He's broken spiritually. It's like all of us. He hits that reality. In that moment, he understands everything he can do without Jesus Christ. Bummer. I know we have a lot of regrets. Sometimes we wish we had done things that we didn't do. Sometimes we wish that we had not done things that we did do. Sometimes we react to things, like when I drive. Please don't slow me down when I'm driving. I drive a red Subaru, and I just want you to know, when you slow me down when I'm driving, you make me sin. Let that roll along quietly. Sometimes, though, we need a moment of clarity to see where I am and where my Lord and Savior is. Because God's goal is to make me like Jesus, right? That's the plan. I'm being conformed and transformed into the image of his son, according to Romans chapter 8 and verse 12. I mean chapter 12. And so God's plan is to make me like Jesus. And so those moments of clarity come when I see the difference between the one who took on my sin and myself as the one who creates sins. I think that's the reason a lot of people don't go to church. They don't worship I think there's a lot of things that people don't do because they don't want to take time to deal with those regrets and those sins and those stories and those pains and abuses. I think a lot of times we think if we can just bury them long enough, they'll stop hurting. But they won't. What they will do is they'll be hidden. You won't know they're there, but they'll make you act strange. They'll make you act badly. So many of us are a product of our wounds. Jesus died so we could be a product of his sacrifice, so we could be a product of his life. But we often live our lives as products of our wounds, and I think that's why we need so much noise today in our lives. So we, we can just kind of avoid it. So if you're ever going to actually be free, and I, I promise you there's freedom. If you're ever going to actually be free, you've got to clean out your closet with all those skeletons in it, all those abuses. I think the way that you get there the most quickly is when you get Jesus in view in your life. What does Jesus do? He gives you hope that there's more. That there's a way to live that's filled with joy and peace that's independent of circumstances. That's crazy, isn't it? Really. What if you didn't need anyone to make you happy? What if you didn't need another thing to be filled with joy? What if you were totally free? That's the freedom Jesus Christ promises. So when we begin to realize, so we gotta recognize that we got, we got issues. Any, anybody else have issues? Give me a nod, I don't want a hand, raise your hand. No one stand and shout, but I'm like, anyone else have issues? I got, I got issues, I'll raise my hand. Jason, you do have issues. I love you, man. So you gotta recognize you got them too. You gotta let them go, release your regrets. Oh, that sounds easy. Sweet, no problem. Where do I sign the card? Right? Because that's what happened to Peter, right? Oh, man, I goofed up. I'm sorry, Lord, and carried on. Isn't that what happened? No, that's not what happened. <laughs> Peter blew it, man. He walked out of there weeping bitterly, and in his mind, he, he was over for him. His, the life that he gave up 
he gave up a life to pursue a new life. And when he walked out of that courtyard in tears, absolutely shattered, he's like, it's over. My dreams are toast. I wanted God to be this in my life. I wanted to do this for God. And now I've ruined it. You ever felt like that? I have ruined it. Can't go anywhere from here. In fact, a lot of folks are stuck in these weird places in their life, these places of pain, places of brokenness, and they don't know how to, to move on. So first you've got to admit, I got broken places. That's okay. I've never met a person who wasn't broken, okay? I'm broken. It's okay to have those places. It's important to see those places. But then how do we move into a place where we can let go of those places? I mean, really... I know God forgives everybody, but does he forgive me? Isn't that the question we're asking all the time? And isn't our struggle, that struggle you have, okay, I'm sorry, I, I, don't, I don't read minds or anything, but I know, I know how people are. Isn't that struggle within us to forgive ourselves? Because isn't that what we say? Oh yeah, I know God forgives me, but I can't. Forgive me. Do you know what that really is? It's, it's a faithlessness. It's a doubt that God can actually forgive you. Like somehow you have a higher standard than God. Right? I know God can forgive me, but I can't forgive me. You know, I, it hit me a few weeks ago. I was in Bible study and I realized God paid a high price for the privilege to forgive and he loves to use the privilege. I love it. I don't care what you've done, God can set you free. Let me give you a scripture about something we can do. Isaiah 55, verse six, and Isaiah is a cool verse. Cool. There's so much cool stuff in Isaiah. But verse six, uh, verse six, seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him now while he's near. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes. Turn to our God, for he will forgive generously. You're probably at a place, someone in here, this room's probably at a place where you just don't know how to go forward. It looks impossible. That's why I love the Bible. The Bible is filled with these cool, I call them literal metaphors, all these cool things that happen. They literally happen, but they mean something. One of, one of the really awesome ones is the nation of Israel free from Egypt. They just got free from Egypt, and there's 1.5 million people approximately on the beach of the Red Sea. Now, they weren't there playing in their inner tubes and swimming, going, woo-hoo. They were actually running away from an enemy who wanted to kill them. To the back of them, they had an enemy who wanted them dead, and to the front of them, they had an absolutely impossible, uh, impassable sea. It was an impossible situation. So what I need you to do is, is those regrets in your life, you're like, I did this thing and I can never get over it. I can never let it go. I need you to see that what that is, is that's you stuck in a place with an enemy behind and something impossible in front. But here's the thing. Jesus said, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. So no matter what you've got going on, no matter what fear you carry in your heart, no matter how bad you think it is, for God, it's not a problem. Red Sea split when God say they split. 
So when I ask you and I say, hey man, you gotta recognize the issues and the regrets, then you gotta let them go, I realize I'm asking you an impossible thing. So I'm, I'm not being unfair. I'm simply pointing out. You have to let them go, but nothing's impossible with God. So I gotta recognize the problem, I gotta let it go, release the problem, then I get to redeem the problem. What does that mean? That's a cool word. What does redeem mean? I don't know. It would probably work in a song or something. God has a way of making broken things beautiful. God has a way of, of taking things that don't make sense, that, that hurt, and turn them into incredible, helpful, beautiful things. So let's go back into our story. Peter blew it. We own that. We've blown it. Peter weeps bitterly, runs out of that courtyard, a shattered man. In a sense, Peter's going through his own crucifixion, but I'll elaborate in a second. In a sense, Peter is dying as well. He runs out of that garden, and he's just a broken guy. So for three days, he gets to sulk in that. Three days, he gets to be broken. For three days, he gets to think about that regret I denied my Lord and Savior, the guy I love more than anybody on the planet. I, I, I lied, and I didn't own it, who I was and who he was making me. Three days. Then on the third day, Jesus, like, was sick of being dead, and he got up. He walks out of the ground. So some, some ladies were at the tomb, and they were like, cool, but something in Greek. And Jesus, Jesus, the angels say, hey, tell the disciples and Peter. Tell the disciples. You should applaud that. You really should, man. That's just God's word, man. Tell the disciples and Peter. So let me ask you a question. Peter totally blew it. Totally acted ashamed of his Savior. Was his Savior ashamed of him? Let me ask you a question. How much does God love you on your best day? Don't answer yet. How, do, how much does God love you on your worst day? The same. His love is unconditional, unstoppable, radical, insane, powerful. So they tell Peter he's alive. But this isn't the formal this isn't the formal restoration yet. This is, this is like getting ready. So Peter hears the word, but he's still, you know, he's in the place you are. I know God forgives me, but I can't forgive me. And so Peter, even though he knows Jesus Christ is alive, after a period of time, Jesus shows up to him and they see it and, you know, ooh, ah. Peter says to the disciples in John 21, he says, I'm going fishing. And what that meant was, I guess I'm going to go do what I used to do. Because I don't think I can do what I want to do. That ring a bell for anybody? Sometimes we feel like we have to go back because we can't go forward. So he goes back to fishing. And uh, good news, he's just as bad at it now as he was before. It's true. But when he met Jesus, he couldn't fish. And after he denied Jesus, he still couldn't fish. So he's out there not fishing very well. And Jesus Christ shows up and, and calls out to Peter. And Peter's out of the boat. And he sees, Peter sees Jesus. 
And he gets really excited. I don't think Michael Phelps could have beat him swimming that day. I mean, he shot to the shore to meet Jesus. And Jesus restored Peter. Do you know how he restored Peter? With this question. Peter, do you love me? That's John 21. Now, I need to tell you something. John 21 has an understood in the whole chapter about Jesus. What's the understood? That Jesus deeply and passionately loves Peter. That's the understood. Why do I say that? Because of John chapter 1 through chapter 20. And all the love that Jesus had displayed for Peter and all the care he had given to Peter. So, and Jesus had died for Peter. He had risen again for Peter. So John 1, chapter 1 through 20 are Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves Peter, and Jesus loves you. And so now we get to John 21, and Jesus pulls up, they eat some fish together, Jesus fixed breakfast, poof, breakfast, they're sitting down. And here's the understood, Jesus saying, Peter, here's John chapter 1 through 20 of how much I love you. Peter, do you love me? Peter waffles. He struggles. And here's what I, I believe his struggle is. And this is Michael's opinion, so don't take us to the bank or it's not word of God or anything. But I think Peter was sitting there going, how do I say I love somebody who I just stabbed in the back? I think that's where his heart was and his head was. He hadn't forgiven Peter yet. What was Jesus trying to do with this love question? He was trying to connect Peter to the forgiveness that he was being given. You see, in your life, yeah, you got regrets. We all do. Jesus, he's in the business of forgiving regrets. He died on the cross for the privilege, covered in his blood. But that's not all he wants to do. Being a Christian is a lot more than forgiveness. You know that, right? Jesus died on a cross. Sometimes Christianity gets stuck on the cross and we never get to the tomb. The fact that Jesus didn't just die, he rose again. That's a promise of life after death. So regrets need to end. They're over. Actually, your regrets even, aren't even part of you anymore. They actually died on the cross with Jesus. That's what happened to Peter. He died in that courtyard. The old, self-sufficient, prayerless, proud Peter died in that courtyard. And on the shore of that beach that day, Jesus is calling up a new Peter. Think about this for a second. In that courtyard, in Peter's strength, a servant girl says to him, I think you're with them. And he couldn't handle it, and he lied. Well, just a number of days later, on the day of Pentecost, he stands before the Sanhedrin and all the Jews in Jerusalem and stands up. I'm with that guy. I'm with Jesus Christ. He's the Lord and Savior. He died for you, and he'll save you if you repent and turn to him. He's fearless now, because now he's not in his strength anymore. He's not, he's not Peter doing stuff for God anymore. Now he's God doing stuff through Peter. And that changes everything. I don't know what your regrets are, but I know this. God wants to walk into your regret and redeem it and turn it into your ministry. Think about this. Do you know how many people I know who have, have gone through hor horrific circumstances in their life, uh, uh, abuse, abortions, divorce, whatever, jail, addiction, 
came out on the other side with a ministry to people in those very areas of their life. That's the kind of stuff God does. He takes broken things and he makes them beautiful. So now look at your regrets. And now you realize that regret isn't just a mistake that defines your identity. It's an ingredient that God's going to use to turn you into his image and use in his strength. That's powerful. That's freeing. I don't have to drag around my closet full of skeletons anymore. You guys remember the story in John 11 about a guy named Lazarus? You'll remember him because he was dead when we meet him. Actually, we meet him in another place, but he was dead. And in the story, John 11, Jesus Christ comes and talks to his sisters, Mary and Martha, who we've met before. And they're heartbroken and grieving the loss of their brother. Jesus goes to the tomb, and the Bible tells us he, he's weeping. Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. He's weeping, he's standing in front of this tomb. On the other side of the door of the tomb, or the rock that's in front of the cave-like tomb is... Uh, there and on the other side is Lazarus' body. Death has come and invaded and taken a life. And Martha's broken and Mary's broken and all these friends are around and they're broken because grief is a horrible thing. And Jesus cries. But in that tomb is this dead guy. He's, he's in there, in fact, he's been there four days, which is a bad sign. You don't usually get over death after four days. I mean, 20 minutes maybe, but four days... And in the Bible story, John 11, Jesus says, roll the stone away, open the door to the tomb. There was some protest to that because after four days, the human body takes on some neat, aromic type things. And then Jesus calls out Lazarus. And Lazarus walks out of the grave. Uh, let me, I wanted to share that story because I want to give you something, an idea that I feel like God gave me this morning. A life filled with regrets is really, really a lot like, it's like being in a grave. It's like living in the darkness of a tomb, the dampness, the close quarters. It's like feeling like you just can't get out of this. And, and this isn't in the story. I don't think Jesus actually did this to Lazarus. But what if, what if Jesus walked into your cave of regrets, your tomb of regrets? And, and what if Jesus, you know, you're laying there, you're dead, you can't say anything, you can't move, but you're aware? And what if Jesus were to talk to you? Or maybe that's your life right now. You just feel completely inert because of all the pain that's there and you don't know what to do with it. And what if Jesus walks into that and he says, and he sits down across from you and he looks at you he says to you, you know, this looks like a mess. There's a lot of problems in here. A lot of regrets. But it's okay, because I died for all this stuff. All this stuff I died for. So here's what's going to happen. What if Jesus says, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to go out there, because I want people to see this. I'm going to go out there, you and your inert dead self, and I'm, I'm just going to call out your name. 
And when I call out your name, you're not going to have your life anymore. You're not going to have your strength anymore. And you're not going to have your regrets anymore. You're going to have my life. And I'm the kind of guy that when I'm tired of being dead, I'm not anymore. And so I'm going to call your name. So I'm going to go out there. I want everyone to see it. I'm going to, call, I'm going to go out and I'm going to call your name. And when I call your name, you're going to have the strength to walk out of your regrets, out of this cave, out of this darkness and dampness and close quarters and into the light. And, and when you do, when you do, you're going to be alive. Alive. Not, not, just, not just alive. America is alive, which means it's surviving until it dies. That's not what Jesus is talking about. When you do, you're going to be alive. What if that, I mean, really, what if they had that conversation? Of course, you're dead. You can't argue with Jesus, can you? You're just laying there, taking it all in. And sometimes that's exactly, no, I take it back. All the time, that's exactly what we need to do. We need to take in this cool stuff Jesus has given us, man. So Jesus walks out of your tomb for a minute, but it's just going to be a minute. And he's going to call out your name. So on the count of three, I would like to ask you, you don't have to participate. I know this is weird. I don't do this. Like almost, sometimes I don't do this. <laughs> on the count of three, I just want you to say your name. You ready? You don't look ready. One, two, three, Michael. Come forth! Let's do it again. One, two, three, Michael. Come forth! Think about that. What if Jesus is calling you out of your regrets and out of that pain and out of that sorrow and all that loneliness and out of that isolation and out of that pain? He's calling you to live. What if there's so much power in you that it scares the devil out of the devil? That didn't make sense. <laughs> what if I'm looking at lives in this room that have so much strength in them that you could literally destroy the works of the devil? That's a verse out of 1 John. What if you, in your brokenness and in your mistakes, what if those are the very mistakes that God's going to use to set the next person like you free? <sighs> what a joy to be a glove on the hand of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. To have a life filled with life and not regret. You don't have to live in darkness. You are not alone. There's no fear. Yeah, you have an enemy, but he is beaten so bad. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's going to throw stuff at you. But you have Jesus in you. Jesus sometimes in the Gospels, he didn't even take the enemy seriously. Have you ever read that? So guys, we're going to come into this time of we're going to do a communion today. And as we do that communion, we have these, these wafer things up here that we dip into grape juice. We don't use real wine because, never mind, I want to talk about that. <laughs> but here's what I want you to do. And it's a little weird, but we've already been weird today. No biggie. I want you to transpose your regret right on that wafer. Whenever it is, just see it there. 
It's okay, it's an infinite wafer. You may have thousands of regrets. Just put them all right there. See it there in your mind. Michael, you know, this is weird. I don't think I could do that. Well, God gave you an imagination for a reason. So you, you put that regret there, and then you dip it in that juice, and you realize that the blood of Jesus is for that too. And then you eat the thing. You take it in. Because what you're taking in is the forgiveness. Communion is a great gift to teach us all that Jesus has erased so that we can enter into all that Jesus has purchased. So when you do that, ask Jesus for the strength to let it go. So here's how this is going to work. I'm going to pray, though, before we do this, but I'm just going to tell you. We, add, we encourage people to come down the center aisles. There's tables on both sides, and there's two sides to each table. Come down the center aisles. Grab a wafer. Dip it. Take it. You can do it with fr- friends. You can do it with family. What we normally do at Order of Faith is we clump up by small groups or families or friends all around the place. You don't have to. You can come forward, grab a wafer, dip it in. Take it, walk back around both sides and back to your seat. Now, what I'd like to ask you to do is while we're taking communion, just remain. We don't have a third space kind of thing. We don't have a place where people can go and just chat. So I just ask you to maintain a, a, a quietness. Then we're going to sing a song. All the people said amen. And then John's going to pray. That'll be the end of our service, okay? Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you so much that Jesus Christ died for my regrets. I thank you for communion, to give me like a visual illustration and a practice, a symbol, to show how I can let it go. And Lord, I just want to pray for your kids and those who will soon be your kids. That you would give a, a gift today, the gift you've already given that we would be able to step into your forgiveness. We'd be able to let go. We could walk out of our grave, out of our darkness and our aloneness, and walk into life. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Let's stand together. April, will you start this?